Oye, eloeleros, I party. Tragos party, that is. The Tragos party games are here and they are the party games for Latinos. Created by a dynamic team of Latinas, Tragos Game and Get Loud, don't you love the name, were designed to connect Latinos of all generations and backgrounds, celebrating the similarities shared among all Latinos through hilarious gameplay. Whether playing Tragos, a drinking party game for adults, or engaging the whole familia in the competitive Get Loud, these games are guaranteed to bring fun to your holidays this year. Tragos Game and Get Loud are both easy to play and can be enjoyed with two or more players. And guess what, mi gente? They are available at all Targets nationwide and on Target.com. They're also accessible on Amazon. Go to Amazon and look for Tragos Game Also, look for the episode of Latinos Out Loud where we interview founder Carolina and head of marketing Aralis of the Tragos family. I party! Yo te lo dije. Yo, 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 yo! Whoa, it's the Latinos Out Loud podcast. Hey, your girl's here, representing all day, every day. I don't know what else to say. It's Rachel La Loca, in case you don't know. Yeah, Rachel La Bronchitis Loca this week. You know what I'm saying? Bear with me in my bronchioles. Uh, it's going around, according to Kaba. There's some bronchitis. Ain't nobody got time for that. Bronchitis. I don't know. This is kind of crazy, but I'm operating. I'm going to borrow some of Kaba's albuterol in just a sec. Running for the ferry this morning. I think I lost some um you know some tissue for my lungs for sure and these guys that work the ferry they're tired of seeing me running like they know me now like they see me running they're like come on come on and they're like wait wait anyway I caught the boat we're here live at this space Astoria Queens let me tell you Astoria about Astoria no save that for another episode uh, but we do have storytellers here today for sure and lots of stories to share And there were lots of stories shared this week at the Dominican Film Festival. Yo, big up to all the platanos on screen. It was remarkable, I have to say. And that's not because I have a film that screened twice in the film festival. Shout out to Block One. I What's the name block. of that film, Rachel? Well, Terracino, the name of the film that screamed, uh, that screamed or that screened? I screamed when I saw it screened. Well, it is the Dominican Film Festival. So yeah, we were they all... don't screen, they scream. <laughs> Keep going. The Swimmers, which shout out to the NHMC, the National Hispanic Media Coalition that produced this film of mine. Uh, did they? Yes, NHMC they did. NHMC is an amazing organization. It really is. National Hispanic Media Coalition. NHMC produced my film. Shout out to director Michael Martinez. Um, shout out to everybody involved in the film and Brenda Castillo and uh, everyone who works at the NHMC for making my little infertility dreams come true. Um, I remember when Brenda alerted me that I was part of the Latin Extreme Showcase that she told me what struck her about my script is that a lot of it is written through the male lens, which was intentional, which when I was undergoing all my infertility treatments and loss and miscarriages, eso y el otro, like, a lot of people were just referring to me, you know, like, oh, she lost the baby. Mm -hmm. She's going through IVF. She miscarried. And I, I was understanding of that. Like, I, I understood the language. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. Woe is me. But then I'm like, hold up. He also is going through this. This baby or this fetus, whatever you want to call it, that I lost was 50% his, you know, genetically, DNA, all of it. So because I'm the vessel, I understand why the world says she lost a baby physically. I miscarried five times, you know, 
that happened to me. I was in the emergency room. I get it. But he was also affected. And so when I wrote this script, I played around with that a little bit. I was like, okay, seeing what I saw him go through, the meltdowns, the extracting of the little baby New York Nick outfit that he bought, you know, that I found in the garbage, like... That is all emotion that I wanted to write about that, you know, shout out to all the men out there. Shout out to all the partners that also, maybe you're not carrying the babies, but you're also carrying that hurt. And thank you, Nicole Gomez Fisher, who I'm going to introduce right now, even though this is the top of the episode. This is just a free-flowing episode here. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to take a pause for my storytelling real quick to introduce someone that I have been wanting to meet for so mm -hmm. freaking long. It's crazy that you two have not Oh met. my God. Like, I can't even tell you. This woman is so amazing. I've been admiring her work from afar, but now I get to be in the presence of none other than filmmaker, director, writer, Nicole Gomez-Fisher. And of course, we're also joined by, I mean, your family at this point. She's stalling because she forgot my name. Oh, there you go. <laughs> no. I, and actually, I'm intentionally not saying your first name because you know how many slaps on the wrist I've gotten already? Okay, yes. Teresino's Teresino. in the building. You guys know him. Segment host of LGBTQ Out Loud. Mm -hmm. Okay, your club and concert calendar. Do, do, do. Every time I say that, I think of like Hunka Bunka in Sayerville. Remember those commercials on Z100? Anyway, Yeah, it's but a every New York time thing. a Latino says to me, you're like family now, I feel like, ah, uh, they're going to borrow money from me. <laughs> um, I, quite possibly. Yeah. Um, let's just put a pin in that real quick. Yeah. It's really nice to have y'all. So you get what I'm saying right like when you're writing with intent because I wanted to not celebrate but like highlight those emotions that I don't think are you know they don't rise to the top when we talk about miscarriage and mm -hmm. infertility forgive my scratchy voice it's annoying me I hope it's not annoying Wait, FYI writing with me? intent should be oh, the name hello. of your memoirs <laughs> writing with intent if you don't use it I'm gonna use it okay mm. okay well you know when I wrote it and I saw swimmers the swimmers, the swimmers. thank you the swimmers, I did some comedy based off of it, and there were screenings here and there. And I was so surprised because there were moments where men came up to me afterwards. And, like, you know, for example, it's like, yo, shorty, thanks a lot for that film, yo. You know what I'm saying? Because, yo, I felt that shit. You know what I mean? I felt that shit. Who said that? Kaba? <laughs> who are you? It's, it's Kaba. It was, yeah. It was Kaba, movie. our producer. Yeah. It wasn't Kaba, but like, you know, I did this thing called Smoke Signals, which was a variation of the moth stories uptown where I shared uh, just a snippet of the swimmers mm -hmm. and then like my, uh, some more background. And a lot of men came up to me afterwards and like, yo, my sister going through something like that. Or really? yo, my wifey going through something that like that. That is interesting to me because that, that perspective mm -hmm. and your perspective and like, uh, making your film from the male perspective versus Nicole's amazing feature, uh, Good Egg, which is Good from a female egg. perspective yes. and from the couple perspective. I would say your film is from couple. the couple perspective. Yeah. But then yours is from the male perspective of infertility. So as a quick intro, uh, Nicole Gomez-Fisher, my dear friend of many years, um, we, our careers overlap. Ten years ago, we both had features in the festival circuit. I had Elliot Loves. You had Sleeping with the Fishes. That's right. Key title, Sleeping with the Fishes, because 10 years later, <laughs> your follow-up feature, Good Egg, um, is about, uh, speaking of sleeping with the fishes, yeah. Good Egg is about a couple trying to get pregnant. Yeah. Um, and uh, Nicole, I'm sorry, and my boss, Rachel, of course, has her short, The Swimmers, which is about a Latina also trying to get pregnant. And the, the thing with your film is... Uh, it never really occurred to me to look through infertility from a male perspective. Right. Like ever, mm -hmm. ever. Right. 
until like I saw him go through this meltdown mm -hmm. and also some of his friends shout out to his dear friends who called me and they were like yo you should check in on him because he's going through something and he's being strong for you right now mm -hmm. so he was sweeping his emotions under the rug and you know being having just being this strong latino man and you know just pushing everything to the side for me and there is that that masculine element for a woman you know because i have a lot of friends you and Nicole and many friends, you know, who've struggled to be pregnant. And so there is that sense of even now in 2023 America, but I think especially mm -hmm. with Latin women. Yes. Yep. Why are you, what, what is wrong with you? You know, cause we're, we grow up, you know, I'm Dominican Italian. Nicole is Puerto Rican Jewish and married to an Italian guy and you're Dominican and Jewish. You know, we grow up surrounded by a hundred kids. Like I always say, my childhood was like the, my big fat Greek wedding, except with no money. But yeah. that was my childhood. You know, I have 500 cousins and we all grew up yeah. together. But as you to talk about this, and we were chatting before we were shooting, I never really, you know, with a Latin man, it's only now, I mean, in this moment, I guess there is that weird thing of like machismo and why, yeah. why can't I mm -hmm. do my end of this? Mm -hmm. Which literally never occurred to me until your film and until this conversation now. That's lovely, actually. I think it also, you know, even with my husband, who's Italian, it was also the machismo. I mean, he was mm -hmm. devastated. And for the longest time, it was my issue, my issue, my issue. And then he got his boys tested, and it was kind of a combined issue. Mm. And so he had to go through some other things to clean them out. And um, at the end of the day, he, too, was, like, struggling. I mean, I was, you know, between miscarriages and what have mm -hmm. you, they're standing there just outside looking in. You know, yeah. they don't, right. we don't really focus on their perspective. I certainly did not focus on his perspective, which is what Good Egg sort of also led me to, is just realizing how we were coexisting, but we were living such separate lives because neither one of us wanted to express what we were going through. It was mm. just too... That isn't Good Egg. Yeah. yeah, it was just too, too tumultuous, like the ups and downs. So the fact that you wrote something from a male perspective, I'm dying to see it. Um, but congrats on the film. I'm hearing yeah. distribution. Can we celebrate something? Yes, we got picked up by Vertical Entertainment. Oh, fantastic. Oh, Vertical. Oh, yeah. fantastic. I and so we're going to be, uh, our release is on the 17th of this month. Yay! So we're going to be released in theaters in uh, VOD, and the theaters are going to be in Brooklyn, New York, Riverside, California, somewhere in Minnesota, <laughs> somewhere in Montana, <laughs> um, and Texas. This is and so great, you guys. Oh my God, I'm so happy. So I'm really happy. And then in January, we'll go to SVOD. Wow. Yeah. Nicole, I mean, <laughs> I saw the film. I'm just so darn happy. Thank it's you. such a wonderful, magical film. It's just filled with so many, it's a, it's a ride. It's a roller coaster ride. And just when you think, you know, you have closure in your head, like, oh, I know what's going to happen mm -hmm. next. No, you don't. You don't know what's going to happen next. There's magic. There's infertility. <laughs> there's sexy. There's Latinidad everywhere. Oh, my God. There's Cubanidad. There's just Latinidad, period. It's just so Across much fun board. to watch yeah and also i mean this is a subject matter that is so close to my heart so whenever i see anything that covers this subject matter especially in a light-hearted fashion like can we all just relax can we all just freaking <laughs> relax so you uh, good egg so you know is um uh, uh i love the film i've seen it many times and i've watched multiple edits of it and <laughs> yes. i watched oh, i did and i watched it but okay. i Love Good Egg. It's it's what I call it's it's a gentle romp. It's a gentle outrageous comedy. It really evokes a certain type of film 
um, like Night Shift by Ron Howard, mm-hmm. or even Silver Streak with Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder. It's 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 definitely it going is, back in time, but yeah, yeah, it is an outrageous comedy, but it's a gentle, <laughs> very sweet one. I mean, it's got some great action sequences in it. Yeah. Um, but in in uh, to get the convo restarted, in Nicole's case, you know, it's about this couple trying to get pregnant, and what happens is a woman on her own, her lead character. <laughs> goes to this Latina basically saying, can I have your eggs? And that character wants the money because she owes money to the mob. I, I, <laughs> I won't say any more. And then yours, the swimmer, is about infertility from a male perspective. Right. Sprinkled with a little bit of the female perspective, but I really wanted to highlight the male perspective, mm-hmm. which often just goes like sort of in unseen. the dark, right? Yeah. Unseen. You know, there was so many moments of your film, Nicole, that I dialed back to those moments in my infertility journey. Namely, when the doctor called the eggs geriatric. That's legit. Like, that is what my doctor said to me. And I remember thinking he was joking. And he's like, no, that's an actual term. And I was like, how is that? That's so insulting. <laughs> like, but on a scientific level, you know, level it it is. They were old, and you know, I had had problems years prior to and surgeries that led to my infertility, the endometriosis, and so forth. And that's what tail swung into where we landed. Thank you for sharing that. Maybe you can let's let's rewind a little bit. Okay. Like, what about your journey? And if you can pinpoint that moment where you said, I'm going to write a comedy about this, like, what about the journey prompted you to create this beautiful piece of art? Well, thank you for saying that. <laughs> um, it, is, it was a combination of things. It was, I had just finished my first feature, and everyone was asking, what's next, what's next? Sleeping with the fishes. Correct. And I was so, I, I didn't want to do anything next. I wanted to get back into trying to get pregnant. And we had tried everything. And so at this point, my husband's like, what do you want to do? Do you want to try to freeze your eggs? And I was like, I don't think they're viable at this point. And so after months and months of like working in post-production on the first film, I was feeling this like this urge to just get back into the infertility, uh, the IVF journey that we were on. Um, and so it took a little bit of convincing, but my husband and I sat down and we realized after a couple of embryo transfers and miscarriages that we really had no choice like it was either adoption which we had considered Mm -hmm. but the list for adoption is unbelievable it takes years and I was getting older and I was like I don't know how old I want to be when I you know when I'm a mother and so um we ended up starting to look for egg donors and I was not happy about it and I understood that there were people out there that wanted to help and Mm -hmm. so forth or needed the money or whatever their reasons are it's irrelevant but I felt so disconnected before we even started the process. So when we did, you know, as in Good Egg, going through application after application after application and wanting to find somebody that maybe had some qualities that resembled me. And we finally found one, and lo and behold, she had some genetic disorder that we found out after the fact. Oh. And so, which was going to affect her later in life as well. Oh. Which So we were both affected in weird ways, but we weren't allowed to talk because she was anonymous. Right. So then we took a break, and then Mm. after a while, I just was like, you know, let's try it again. And really, it took a lot of my husband convincing me because I didn't want to go through the shots and the pain and and the ups and downs of mood swings and everything that was going on because nobody at the time understood my journey. And speaking of the Latina world, my mom was, I don't want to say she was ashamed, but she really was adamant about me not sharing 
just with the family. Let's unpack that a little bit because <laughs> I experienced the same thing. There is this really uncalled for shame, embarrassment. Mm -hmm. Keep it a secret. Mm -hmm. You have a broken toto roto. <laughs> don't say anybody anything to anybody about your toto roto. Mm -hmm. You know, and I wholeheartedly disagree with that. Like. As soon as I start talking about my then diagnosed, you know, Toto Roto, like another woman in the circle will be like, oh my God, me too, or me three, me four. Mm -hmm. So it's because of women like us that I think we're, we're changing the narrative. I think it's important to just, you know, not be ashamed about it, you know, and I think in a weird way, she was a little ashamed, but this is even before the egg situation. This is just going through the, inf the IVF. She didn't want me to talk about it with anybody. And I was just loose at the lips, and I didn't care. I was like, this is my journey, my life. You mm -hmm. can't tell me what to do. And I found that when I was around her, I would keep quiet when people would ask me, like, where are we? How's it going? But it was a combination of that, not her shame, but it was also I started to feel shameful that I still could not get pregnant, even with the help of the doctors and the medications and the shots. Mm -hmm. And it still wasn't working. So although, you know, on an intellectual level, you understand it's not you, like God is not punishing you. At the same time, there's a feeling of like, I hate the term, but broken. Yeah. Like, why can't I? Is there something about me, my qualities, my DNA? Like, why am I not able to reproduce? So when my husband brought up the egg situation, like I said, you know, we're talking 2005, six. This is a while ago. Um, and there were no social media platforms. There right. was no world. It was really more taboo, not just within the Latino community, but in general. It wasn't out there. So I started writing this at a very different time before it took eight years to actually make the film. So in a way, my film is a little archaic because it's it's not as timely as it would be if I was doing it now, where there's more presence and and knowledge about it. So it was a very, very dark time for me. And when we finally did select this <laughs> donor, I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but we we were very stressed out. So we like drank a lot and we were joking around like, oh, look, she's blonde and six feet tall. And like, you know, we were going back and forth trying to be like, do we want a model baby? Do we want someone that can play basketball? Like scholarship, scholarship. So we joked about it, but we ended up choosing this person who had done it before. And that was a fear of mine too, was that, you know, my kids definitely have siblings out there, you know, and that's a whole thing we'll talk about later. It is. And um, so that was the journey. So it led us to that. Um, and then when I did my first embryo transfer was when I bumped into, accidentally bumped into my donor because the fertility clinic did not allow you to meet because she's anonymous. Right. So your appointments are spread apart. Now, in this particular place that we went to, you were not allowed to even see a picture of the person until after the contract was signed because they don't want to design a baby kind of situation. You know? So it was like, you can't go because this person has nice lips or whatever. So mm. we got to see a picture after. Now it's up to the donor if they want to even leave a picture. They could leave a picture when they were two years old, three years old, 20 years old. Mine happened to be in a rock band <laughs> and had a whole bunch of series of headshots. So my husband, for whatever reason, and to this day I still don't know why, did not want to see it. Okay. Did not want to see it. So I saw it. So on one particular day, he was driving me to the clinic. He had to go to Long Island to uh, a meeting. So he dropped me off early. I was really early. And I'm sitting there, pumped up on hormones, ready to get my blood work to make sure that, you know, the levels are ready for the transfer, getting all the information. And this woman walks out, and she's tall, and she's got a hoodie and sunglasses, like all Hollywood, you know, like, can't see me. And as soon as she took her glasses off to go check out the front desk, it, I knew it was her. And panic just set in. I mean, just panic. panic. Just the, the, the sense of knowing that this person is going to 
breed with your husband. I mean, she's the baby mama, you know, and I can't talk to her. I'm not supposed So while she's sitting there, I called my husband and he's like, Nicole, do not move. And I'm like, but I just want to say hello. Like, I want to feel some connection to this woman. I can't just go off a piece of paper. And he was like, no, 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 no. Okay, long story short, I'm going to blame it on the hormones. I did walk out the door and I got about five feet ahead before my husband's like, you're going to get arrested. This is called stalking. Get your ass back <laughs> oh in the clinic. God. And I was just, I was just this desire. It wasn't, I wasn't trying to do anything harmful. I just wanted, I wanted to know who she was. Madam, who are you stalking? <laughs> That's my baby mama. Yeah. She wait, doesn't what? know it though. She doesn't know it. <laughs> so, so I ended up going back in. Um, obviously the transfer did not work. Mm. Um, and at that point I needed a, a, a real emotional mental a break. break financial break it was just too much so I Mm -hmm. went back to just focusing on sleeping focusing on sleeping with the fishes and at which point my husband's like let's look into surrogacy and so we ended up finding a a pro surrogate because I wanted somebody who had done it before who understood the transfer of child yeah like right out of the stomach right into your arms there's no connection no breastfeeding nothing and so we found this wonderful woman in Denver because at the time it was illegal in New York Right. And so we went through that. So that was a whole other financial burden. I can't even begin to tell you because you're paying for everything. They're, I mean, she's giving you herself. This is like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, it's ridiculous. I mean, yeah. to this day, I can't even look at the bills. But the point is, is that during the time, so the first time we put, we only had five embryos left at this point. We put two of the best in her. And that was the deal was that there were no more than two. Am I talking too much? No, okay. Mama. <laughs> Not at all. So at the time, there was only uh, she would only allow two, and it was the best quality. And when they didn't take, to say that she delved into like the hugest depression, so did I. She felt like she had failed us. She was just so upset. The emotions that she and I shared were were intense. And to this day, we're still talking. We still FaceTime. Mm-hmm. Love her. Uh, she's got three kids of her own. She had done it once before, and you know it doesn't change the fact that the transfer of baby to uh, intended parent is still difficult, you know. She went through postpartum big time. Oh. But then I said to her, I said, look, we both need a timeout. Let's just break and, and circle back. I said, but I'm just going to be very honest with you. We only have three left. I'm not going to play a gamble with just two. Mm-hmm. It's all or nothing. And I don't want to put that pressure on you because it is your body, your choice, all that. You mean what would be implanted? Correct. Right. You wanted three. Mm-hmm. Okay. All and three. the yeah, three our, good ones for lack of a That was the last of the remaining the remaining yeah. babies. So it took her time, but then she was like, you know, I I just want to do this for you. And I was so scared because like, what if I was doing something that was harmful to her? You know, this is a huge deal. So of course, uh, she was wonderful. And when she found out she was pregnant, we were really excited. We didn't want to tell anybody because, you know, how many times did you do that? And then you shoot yourself in the foot oh, and go, yeah. got to retract it, got to retract it. And there are mad times. Yeah. And it's not fun. No. And so um, she did it. And uh, the day that she was at the doctor, because that was the other thing. She's in Denver. I'm in New York. So everything's via Zoom. You know, the ultrasounds, everything. Wow. And technology. she's like, here's baby A. Pause. I'm like, oh, my God. Here's baby B. I'm like, why are we going down the alphabet? What's happening here? And then she's like, baby C. So now we're all panicking because I'm about to have triplets and I'm getting old and I'm like, there's what? no effing way I'm able to handle this. Sadly, one did not take after a few weeks. So we ended up with the twin girls. Um, she ended up having a very difficult pregnancy and had oh. to have some surgery to do some. The kids were eager to get out. So we scheduled a C-section. 
and we flew out to dinner with our families and uh, she had the babies. And I will say that we were, they were both uh, preemies. So they had to be in incubators and I was not How allowed to. How many months when they were born? Uh, they were 28 weeks. They were oh, young. Wow. Yeah. Like seven, seven months. Yeah. yeah. They weren't supposed to be due till late in December. Right. So the girls were, were born and I remember on day two going back to the hospital and I walked in and she's sitting there holding one of the girls and I flipped. I literally saw her and I pulled back out and my husband's like, what's the matter? And I'm like, why is she holding? Like, I wasn't allowed to hold. Like, why? I, I just was so afraid of the disconnect because here I had two women helping me become a mother. One who I'll never know and one who I do know that I'm afraid the kids having heard her voice, having felt like I'm afraid her there's going to be everything. Scent. Her scent. Her yes. sound. And so, you know, Oof. long short is that we have the beautiful babies. Eight months later, and we're talking to her all the time, sending her pictures. She's calling. I'm calling on her birthday, her kids' birthdays, what have you. And we're bonding. Like, you know, we're just completely different women, but we share a, same, a lot of the same values, which is really nice. But um, she ended up saying, you know, I really want to come to New York, and I've never been. And my daughter wants to come because she's a big Friends fan, and they had the Friends TV show set up, and she wanted to yeah. go to the cafe. So um, they came in, and for 24 hours before she came here, I must have taken more Xanax than I've ever <laughs> taken in my life. I mean, oh I was God. so afraid that at eight months, these girls were going to feel her, smell her, her voice. Everything was going to, there was going to be a connection that separated me even more because the fact that they're genetically not related and now there's somebody else who's mm-hmm. carried them, I Why felt. Why said no, that you didn't want to see her? Because I felt that it was selfish for what she had done for me. You know, I felt that. Part. I thought, it, I thought it would be But the that's wrong. also the difference between men and women mm-hmm. who, you know, societally, your women are conditioned to accommodate. Because mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. lot of men would have been like, no, that's, that. that's just not yeah, a good that. idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But, it, it, you know, and it's just interesting um, with, in this journey, and it's also true of your lead character in Good Egg, um, that that accommodation, that that need to explain herself, mm-hmm. that defensiveness, mm-hmm. her secret shame. There's a, a, a great, um, I believe it's still in there when your lead character's in the bathroom mm. and she's looking at the sonogram right. yeah. from when she was pregnant before she lost the baby. Right. And it's just interesting in terms of this journey and, and uh, you know, Rachel, you're saying that you, you wanted the male perspective on this and Nicole giving, without question, the couple perspective and even the family perspective mm-hmm. you know the latin mother with all the thing and she's the doll she's 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 got these so perfect let's just say the, the grandmother <laughs> in nicole's good egg has some theories about how her daughter can get pregnant and they're pretty graphic oh gosh and, the pot um, in the bathtub yes yeah so great. that's an spoiling. actual that's an actual real moment really yeah. oh my god but my see, mother was convinced that but it's like it's interesting, like we were talking about between men and women, you know, masculinity and, and 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 you know the masculine perspective, the feminine perspective, and in each case the sense of failure, not being a man enough, not mm-hmm. being a woman enough. Yeah. But then there is this like you know wrinkle which just comes up in your actual story mm-hmm. of a woman also having the need to please, having the need to accommodate, even while Hurting. beating up on herself mm-hmm. yeah. and and failing. And so here you are having gone through 
what is this now? The fifth, the eighth year of this journey? Because this is after Sleeping with the Fishes, right? It's it, eight years. Yeah, so your yeah. debut feature, uh, Sleeping with the Fishes, which is wonderful, with Ana Ortiz and Gina Rodriguez. HBO, released by HBO Breaking Latino Glass Pictures, HBO Latino, Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime, and that's 2012. Mm-hmm. And, um, and 13, soon, 13. 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you've got years of this under your belt, and now you've got the kids, and it's just weird that you're still like, well, I've got to do the right thing. Mm. And be polite and accommodate, you even know, though you had to pop five Xanax to do it. Yeah, oh, probably more than that. But yeah, a couple margaritas. Five Xanax and a margarita to do this? <laughs> my God, it's like it's like no, it's it's like you were doing anal for the first time. Oh my God, that's a commitment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't even follow up with anything. <laughs> Usually, I'm good with comebacks, but um, right. but at the same time, though. Um, it, it it wasn't just about doing what was right. It was we had we had formed a bond, and I didn't want her to know that I was having all these horrible feelings. But I think it was pretty clear because she wanted to stay with us. That was the one thing I didn't want. I said, "You can come. We can hang out. We can do it." But there's a hotel two blocks away from my house, so I put her up in the hotel with her daughter. We ended up having a really lovely time. Oh, but I will say, I have a lot of pictures of her holding the babies and one by one and. There's a part that you just feel so separated and mm-hmm. you wonder if these kids are going to love you the way they would love her or they would love their biological mother. And that takes a lot, especially the older the girls get. They just turned seven and they have so many questions. Mm-hmm. And we're going to. Did I wanna, they know who she is? They know. Yeah. I almost said her name. Yes, they know her. So she's, you know, they FaceTime all the time. They call, oh. they call her Mama Ray. Okay. Because <laughs> it's part of her name. Why, why did you tell them? Why, why did you tell them? I said, mommy has a boo-boo belly, and although you didn't grow my belly, you grew my heart. Um, with <laughs> and, um, I, you know, because of all the surgeries I did have from the endometriosis and some other mm-hmm. things in my life, the girls can see the scars. So they look at that, and they always touch it and kiss it and go, it's okay, mommy. It's okay we're in somebody else's belly. You're still our mommy. <sighs> I just, I'm melting at this. Go ahead. But please. I just recently told them about the donor, and that was a much tougher ride. And you wanted to tell them this? I find that curious. Uh, Why not be Latin and just keep secrets and have uh, it spill out when you die? Like every Latin yeah, family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you know, that's not, so funny. Why not wait to the drunken per- birthday party? You know, when, when the guy stands <laughs> up and he's You're not really my son. Okay, papi. You're not really my son. Okay, not not now. That's so funny. Well, why... I felt like with when the film started getting traction, I felt like, you know, eventually... Good Egg or Sleeping good with egg. the Fishes? Good Egg. Good Egg. Um, I, I love, by the way, your first title, Sleeping with the Fishes, and is like sex. Le- and the second one is The Result. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. I can't wait for the third. It's great. Yeah. Good Egg too. Yeah. Yeah. Bad Eggs. Bad <laughs> Eggs. Bad <laughs> Eggs in college with loans. <laughs> and Nicole Goldman's Fisher story. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah. <laughs> what you wish for. So that's my tagline. So going back to the donors, so I... Why... I think they have a right to know, and I think the earlier you start planting those seeds—no pun intended—is um, oh is this, this the is best. <laughs> is going to make it easier to explain to them down the line because now it's so prevalent on social media that a lot of donor-conceived children have their own sights, their own feelings, their own angst. It's it's a lot of emotions for them too, because they feel as if their egg and or sperm was a purchase versus it being something else. And to me, it's—I don't see it as a purchase. I see it as a, a want, a need, a desire to be a mother and finding every which way to go about being one. And in Good Egg, um, 
the perspective of the couple, like people say, oh, it's a baby movie. It's not a baby movie. And, you know, there really is never really a baby outside of this, the cousin or sister or whatever. Yeah, to me, Good Egg was, as you know, to me, it was, it was an action comedy yeah. um, with a female lead. And, and, you know, it's hilarious. They're, they're chasing her donor. They're chasing her money, <laughs> you know. And then uh, it's, it's kind of like, it, it, you know, like in Psycho. You know, the MacGuffin and Psycho. Everyone forget what sets off Psycho. Mm-hmm. The stolen money. That's right. And every, that's the MacGuffin. It's Because, you know, as Hitch said, the MacGuffin is what's important to the characters but not the audience. Mm-hmm. They're all looking for Marion because she stole money. They have no idea about this cross-dresser who killed mm-hmm. her, you know. And so it's there's this, in your wonderful film, Good Egg, there's this kind it of Mag- MacGuffin-y thing where they don't know where she's gone once mm-hmm. she's been kidnapped and nobody knows about the eggs and the money, and they're just chasing after her because they think she's been kidnapped or gone rogue. Right. You know, no one, you know, and, and so it's just one of these things about, you know, what's important to the characters but not the audience. To me, the audience, it was just a really wonderful action comedy. Like, that's what I saw, you know. And maybe that's because I'm a man. I don't know. But I saw this action comedy, and I, and I called Nicole up, and I'm like, this is such a <laughs> terrific action comedy and by a female filmmaker, you know, and not through the male gaze. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. it's a feminine action comedy. Although we do hear a lot from Gordy, right? Gordon's mm-hmm. character does convey some of the emotions. Well, because it's definitely the from the, her, her couple's perspective. Yeah. It's definitely the from them as a couple. Yeah. But I mean, as a filmmaker, you know, it's a different kind of action comedy. Yeah. You know, it's like an action comedy, but everyone has really good lipstick. It's just like it's like, <laughs> a, it's like an action comedy from a female perspective. I appreciated all the pieces of the puzzle, to be quite yeah. honest. Like, the support from Gordon was really fun. Gordon and is the husband the in husband. Good husband. Right. He went as far as to even starting, like, the early preliminary selections of the donor without her even knowing. And that Jordan is Joel from... Joel Johnstone from uh, The Marvelous Maisel. From The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Mrs. Maisel, excuse me. Yeah, wrong. Mrs. Maisel. That's, and I was like... And it's funny, I saw the film twice. Before I made that connection, just as a side note, you do have a great cast. You. you also have uh, Nick in it. Um, Nick Cirillo and Nick Cregan, two Nicks. Nick Cirillo, who was on one of my favorite episodes of Poker Face. Yes. Mm. Yes, I love that. Rest in Metal. <laughs> um, That's if right. you've seen Poker Face season one, or Death in Metal or Rest in Metal? No, I think it's Rest in Metal. With I have Chloe Sevigny mm. about the one hit wonder band. <laughs> and then Nick plays the guy who delivers them their next hit, so they decide to kill him. Right. And so your, your cast in Good Egg is, is amazing. It is a great cast. I mean, that was another thing that was really important, especially coming from a, a Latin perspective, you know, was who is the right person. And it was so important to me that the lead actress, who's played by Yara Martinez, mm-hmm. was somebody who, who could emote a life lived, yeah. you know, who understood loss, who understood the need and desire to be a parent and so forth. And there were a lot of actresses that we had on the plate, but they just, they didn't have that heart, that the heaviness along with the humor that I was looking for. Does Yara have children? No. It's a wonderful performance. I yes. assume she yeah. did have children. No. I, I got the her maternal uh, yeah, instinct I did too. right I just, away. I, the whole time, I just assumed she's yeah. a fighter. And you know, my one of my favorite scenes in the movie is at the very end, and I don't want to give it away, but in the box where oh. if you watch her performance, it every time it gets me because it's literally as if she's speaking through me. You know, it's my words, but it's like I feel what she's feeling in that moment on screen is what I felt, which was this the sorrow and the desperation and the need to to please and or you know be felt like she was she was being embraced by everybody during this painful time and she just 
her eyes, the sincerity that comes from it, the pleading to let her husband understand where she was coming from and why she did what she did. Yeah. That, to me, is, is what seals the whole film. There are so many details. This is like a good party. You know when you go to a good party, <laughs> you're like, oh, the decor, the DJ, the music, the f everything was just so good. Down to, like, I mean, there's so many things that I want to call out, but, like, I, I really... Um, a lot of moments resonated with me, the different attempts on how to get pregnant from the family, the sister who's <laughs> popping kids out left and right, how many cousins. I used to tell people, like, on my Jewish side, everybody's like a fertile myrtle. And on my Latin, on the Dominican side, everybody's a fertile mirta. And then here comes Rachel, not able to pump one out, diagnosed with reoccurring miscarriage, which I still don't understand what that means. Yeah. Is it a scientific thing? I don't diagnosis. know. It, it, it was a diagnosis. Wow. I was diagnosed with reoccurring miscarriage, and that's how I qualified for IUI and IVF and III and oh, Iconio wow. and everything else I did to get pregnant. <laughs> so I want to know from you, Nicole, like, okay, so watching the swimmers on screen during the Dominican Film Festival gave me a sense of, okay, I wouldn't call it closure, but it was, it was reflection. And I didn't do this intentionally, y'all, but I brought my kids to the theater because I couldn't find a babysitter. Yeah. So I gave them their tablets because all the shorts that screened before mine had like gore, blood, violence, rape. It was crazy. Oh I gave them headphones and tablets, but when my short came on screen, I let them watch it. And then when I went up for the Q&A afterwards, I was like, oh, shit, this is such a full circle moment because this film is about the time where I didn't think I was going to have any kids. My reproductive endocrinologist literally handed me a, path, a pamphlet like we saw in her yeah, film. Yeah. Handed me a pamphlet of surrogacy and adoption. And she said to me these words verbatim. She's like, we tried everything and your oven is broken so you oh should look into it. They said your oven is broken? Yes. Wow. Oh. That's worse than geriatric eggs. That's why I related so much to geriatric <laughs> eggs horrible. because... No, it's it's actually not worse because it's my like, oven is broken and I'm it's, still it's, waiting for my super to come. <laughs> so I'm like, it's, it's not worse. I think it's pretty much It's not worse, Nicole. It's not it always so about you, okay? Fun. I'm so sorry. My <laughs> oven is broken. <laughs> my question no, for you, is. Nicole, is did you... Did you also have that like self-reflective moment or did you gain any closure from this project or what did you gain now in hindsight that you have your two beautiful girls and your family is complete? What do you feel? I feel a sense of pride. I mean, as you know, just in general, as a human being, forget about just being a woman, having gone through all of that, you know, again, the emotional, the financial, just the disappointment, the the pain, the the separation of the marriage at some point, like just to see it all come together and watch the audience laugh and have people like yourself, you know, and you too, Gary. Oh, Teresina. Teresina. No, you can call me Gary. My bad. Oh wow. Yeah, I still I still owe her fifty. Bucks. So yeah. So at the end of the day, um, to me, it feels like I've come full circle, just like you. And it wasn't when I was going through my seventeenth edit because this film has had so many different lives as Gary. Uh, no, no. It's, as Terracino knows, it's, no. The film. It's the normal editing. No, well, we but we People screened. Films we screened go through and went edit. back and Sometimes edit. Oh. We screened again, went back and edit. So we went to Bentonville. We well, went Oliver back Stone and, does that. Yeah. Well, yeah. He's always really. reassuring his the, the director's cut. No, oh. you were always so. Again, that's a you were always so because Nicole would screen it and she's like, "I'm going to make a tweak," and I'd be like, "Fantastic!" <laughs> and Why a not? tweak would be like a two month process, you know, because once you have it locked, it's hard to go back, especially when you're independent. Mm -hmm. You're working with very little dollars. Yeah, people don't know that like a film gets locked even in the digital age that's mm -hmm. all the elements that's mm -hmm. the film that's the visual effects that's the sound right. these legal things and these things you have to do and you get locked mm -hmm. and so you can't just like 
go back and and snip something. You have to go back to the film and, like, and to all right. of these disparate elements, which are in the th- your disparate pieces of sound and everything. Sound, everything, all your it's, levels, your music, everything. It's like thousands of, 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 of elements. And then to go back and say, I just want to tweak this, there's right. always a cost-benefit analysis where if somebody's like, yeah, well, if you want it, you know, we could do that. That's that's a G. Mm-hmm. You know, we can get the mm-hmm. editor and the sound guy to remix that. That's mm-hmm. 1500 mm-hmm. And to do a tweak in a film that's already that's happened so sometimes is, is so yeah. expensive. You so know. this this one that has now been picked up and will screen, the one you saw, the one you saw, well, you've seen a lot, um, is the final of the final. Because I literally screened it at three different festivals before this cut. I was just not happy. Something wasn't working. It was too long. It was dragging. It, you know, it's supposed to be action. And then I would find that, you know, we'd go through the action and all of a sudden there'd be this lull. And it was just too many dips and, and levels. So besides Terracino, Joel Johnstone actually used to edit on his own. And we sat down and he was incredibly integral in what the I didn't realize now. Joel had helped you out. Wow, look at yeah. that. I don't, that's an interest in the film. That's he was, lovely. He was just so supportive and wanted the best and wanted to help me. And, you know, after almost two years of working on it, you start to lose sight of what your story is about. You start mm-hmm. to lose focus mm-hmm. on oh, what's God, funny and what's mm-hmm. not. Editing can be a morass. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a wilderness. You know, like Ron Howard says. Yeah. In, in, no, he said on, in the master class that he does, which uh-huh. is actually quite good. And he said, you know, every film a director makes will break their heart. Because mm-hmm. mm. you lose things that There's you There's just no lose. such thing. Even for a film, you know, only, I don't want to say, because there was an infamous director who was infamous for this and he got canceled, but I don't want to say. Oh. But only douchebag directors are like, man, I'm editing my film, I love it. And <laughs> any director who says that to you, it's like, honestly, it's like, you're not very talented <laughs> and you're probably sitting next to an editor who's like, <laughs> wrong you way you know because like it's editing is is it's 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 horrible <laughs> like i mean i love it it's actually my favorite part but i'm saying i actually l- love editing too i love editing oh, okay. it's my yeah every 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 editing is my favorite part but okay. it's that's when you will hit your greatest lows but when you have people like you and and people that you trust their eye and their knowledge mm-hmm. of film and how things work and storytelling it is so helpful so you know Tarasino helped me. That's so weird calling you that. Sorry. Yeah. And I then, thought every every edit you showed me was terrific. Thank you. I'm like her Murray on Mary Tyler Moore. <laughs> you I was really like, are. I love it, Mary. And she was like, and then she would send me another one, and I would be like, I love it even more, Mayor. Because I'm like her Murray. I know. It's it's right. one of those things where like you you're never, I mean, you've shot your own, and you're never really happy until you're, you know. So Joel, just going back to him, uh, offered to sort of guide me. And I decided after the urban world where I was you know, not happy with the cut or the audience response, that I was going to take a time out. No things, go through Thanksgiving, focus on the kids, focus on my family, just mm-hmm. focus on life yeah. and get out of this editing booth. And it wasn't until after the new year that I spoke to a bunch of people and I was like, how can I tell this story differently? How can we empathize with the protagonist? How can we get that? Because that was what was missing for me, mm-hmm. was that the way I had structured it was by the script. And everyone's like, you don't have to edit by the script. You can move things around. Mm-hmm. And so I redid the first like 15 or 18 minutes myself. Mm-hmm. And I was so yeah. happy with that because I was like, okay, now I'm feeling her. And then Joel jumped in and helped me with the second half of just getting the dead air out, keeping that energy alive, even if it was like a, a stomp yeah. on the foot that would lead into another action moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was incredibly helpful. And I mean, 
I should give him credit, but at the end of the day, he helped me put it together. So then I went to iMovie and did all the cuts, and then I called Carlos Berrios, who was my Carlos editor, yeah. my colorist. Carlos, shout out! Such a small world. He literally, he, well, okay. he did fishes too. He did some with fishes. Awesome. And he did good. He's pretty much been my editor on almost every project, but one. And so this was a grueling one for both of us. We were spending a lot of time together. We were not seeing the same page. So I sent him the MP and I said, can you copy this? Like, just help me through this. And so, so that I what, what, So to people understand is, is what Nicole's saying. Just Sorry. I'm not, I'm not mansplaining. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm, no, I'm editing explaining. In layman's terms. No, no, I, I'm in layman's <laughs> please. In layman's terms. So what Nicole is saying, so, you know, you have this film and she's got this editor, Carlos Burris, whom we all know. And so what Nicole is saying is when she was playing around with the beginning, Nicole herself took footage from the film and put it in iMovie mm -hmm. to make, uh, kind of like if you do it on your iPhone, to send it to her actual editor to say, this is what I want. This is how I so want to see So you were playing it. around with editing, but it's not the actual edit. Correct. It still needs to become Correct. the actual edit. Correct. Edit. And I went back to his studio and we sat there and we were like, insanely accurate because the beats as you know in comedy it's in, it's really important if there's that little one quarter of a second of dead air you could lose joke that joke mm -hmm. not hit. right mm -hmm. and so not we not went hands. through it we kind of played with the music but i mean carlos was i mean he was the colorist the editor the sound designer mm -hmm. post-production like he he was everything and i think it took a toll on both of us but he's amazing to work he's with because so he's very gentle yes he now you mentioned your comedy Okay, if I may dial back, speaking of editing, let's rewind, okay? Let's go back to your start in comedy. You were a stand-up comedian. You and I, I feel like I'm looking in a mirror right now because we were also part of HBO and Alberto Ferreras' mm -hmm. Abla series. Mm -hmm. I was an Abla, yeah, you were an Abla before it really blew up and yeah. became Abla. I think Abla. it was the first one. That That's fantastic. Did. You also work with several of these amazing Latina comics out there uh you did sketch you did stand up i mean tell us a little bit about the beginning of nicole fisher gomez or, nicole gomez, gomez, fisher. gomez fisher it's okay um, everyone says it wrong <laughs> i don't uh, you don't you may keep saying my first name <laughs> but i get all three of your last names correct Thank you. i appreciate <laughs> that's that that's friendship it's important that is friendship um so i started off as an actress and i did a couple shows here in New York, and I did one off-Broadway play, and I got a great New York Times review, and I'm like, I'm going to go to California. It was called Birthmarks. And I don't remember. Her first name was Leslie something. What, what is it with like you and kids no, and pregnancy? Well, I wasn't pregnant. Oh, I look at that. They were foreshadowing. Wow. That's yeah. really interesting because, yeah, and I it's was some not for even. for Latin shadowing. I was not even. <laughs> <laughs> the Cuatro Shadowing. Wow, it's exactly. okay. <laughs> a whole other series. <laughs> it's so funny. But no, I, it is like foreshadowing, but I wasn't the pregnant one. I was the best friend to this young girl who got knocked up by her boyfriend. And uh, apparently I had a secret love thing for her. So I was in love with her and wanted to sort of say, I'll be, you know, by your side through the whole thing. And anyway. Was... And we could also see you on General Hospital. Oh, God, come on now. I did not know this. General I know Hospital. You. I was a waitress. I had like one line, like, <laughs> can I get you a drink or something? <laughs> and same thing with 24. I was in 24. I was pregnant. Were the you? Only time, Hello. Only time I was pregnant, I had my belly. Well, great. That means the only time you were pregnant, you got you paid for it. Yes, like, that's yeah. really fantastic. There you go. Oh, my god! And I was pregnant. My husband, there was a bomb about to go off, and my husband went into this convenience store to get stuff for us as we were about to, like, you know, 
go on this big ride and then he got shot and killed and then I had to be like, ay, it's Really? And then fade out. Pregnant though. Yeah. All of Isn't this that crazy? Is kind of it's the, the universe. only picture that you will ever see of me pregnant is with a fake belly. Wow. Yeah. So I started that way and then when I got out to LA, I was watching a lot of my friends do a lot of writing. And I was like, and people were like, oh, you're funny. You should get up on stage. And so I started doing these open mics. I started here in New York first. And then my material here was apparently too blue for L.A. Oh. the term blue? No, mm-hmm. like, can you explain? I don't know. Oh, yes. You oh, you do. don't know the term working really? blue? No. Oh, it's when you drop too many F-bombs and you're oh. foul. So you're oh. blue. Yeah, in the old days in comedy clubs, Phyllis Diller talks about this. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Um, you are dating us. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, Phyllis um, Diller. So no, but I knew her from Hollywood Squares. Yeah, yeah I love her. No, but there's there's there's, there's a great documentary that came out like 15 years ago called um, The Aristocrats, mm-hmm. which is about allegedly the dirtiest joke ever told in comedy. It's a whole doc. I know, and, and told Diller, by different comedians. Yeah, yeah. Phyllis oh, Diller talks great. about she was like back in the day when you went into the dressing room behind the comedy club, it would say no working blue. Got it. You know, which just meant anything mm-hmm. that like could affect just raunchy you know, cursing or, or sex, right. basically yeah. cursing or sex or drugs. Or drugs, yeah. Thanks for putting us on. That's interesting. It's not a term used today, though, right? No. I don't think so. I haven't heard it. But so the work I was doing in New York was accepted. People got it. They didn't Mm -hmm. care. There was no judgment. Mm -hmm. I went out to L.A. I started doing the same material, and people were like, "You, your image does not fit what's coming out of your mouth. And, of course, at that time, being so green and so eager and wanting to appease, I rewrote my material. Mm -hmm. But it never, even though I had success here and there, it never felt... Like me, because I felt like I was putting on an act that other people want. They wanted to hear about my dog, and they wanted to get like things that had no interest for me. Mm. So I did that for a while. I was on a troupe called the Hot Tamales, and that was with Kiki Melendez and Eva Longoria. I did go there. I did. All right. You, you, you can do what you want with that. I didn't mention names <laughs> before, but that's great. I have no idea what them. the cheese is. I'm <laughs> just like I'm the Latin man in the kitchen, and they're going at it with the Tupperware, and I'm just like I'm going to take this drink and leave. I don't know <laughs> but I'm still going to be listening from a distance. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I was part of that for a while, and that got me a lot of stage time. But it was this one moment at the comedy store. This I got off the stage and it was, you know, not my best performance, but this woman came up to me, this other comedian said, Don't take this the wrong way. And you know when somebody starts with don't take it the wrong way, they're about to Already, insult you it's or something. Like, okay, like, yeah. what's coming? Like, right. Armor is on. Go ahead. But in I'm not it's not a direct quote, but she basically in no other words said, Your writing is really good. Your performance doesn't match the right. Like it's you're not giving, it's because it's not stick, you. Right, exactly. Yeah. So although at first I was kinda like it stung, I was like, Oh God, I suck. I took that with me and I kind of sat with it for like two or three days and I was like, you know what? I'm a good writer. Maybe I should just write. And that was what led me to writing my first feature, having no experience or knowledge. And it's interesting because your films, Sleeping with the Fishes mm-hmm. and Good Egg, are so <laughs> authentically you. Yeah. So that in that feedback actually mm-hmm. helped. Which you did not take the wrong way. You actually mm-hmm. took it was mm-hmm. I need to do work that's about my authentic self. Yeah. And exactly. That, and no and pun intended, that gave birth. Your filmmaking. <laughs> oh, but it did. Nice. Thank you. Conceived. Oh, that's why you pay me the modestly big bucks. <laughs> the modestly big bucks. I do. Oh, okay. <laughs> like wait a minute. We have a contract. <laughs> so, so yes, yeah, so that's what landed me into comedy, and then of course, I ended up coming back to New York because I was just missing this vibe out here. And I was out in LA for four years, and it was just like more of a struggle that I just didn't feel was worth it anymore. So I came home and I did a one woman show, and after that I 
said, you know what? I don't want to be in front of the camera. I don't want to be on stage. I want to be behind it. And I want to learn like how to create a world through my words. And <laughs> I love that you're smiling. <laughs> like that improv. Um, I love it. I love all <laughs> of it. That's beautiful. Nicole, sense. it's beautiful. You guys it are really so sweet. Is. Yeah. This is, <laughs> this is so lovely. Um, I guess my last question before we get into LGBTQ out loud, because we'll be we'll be here forever. And I, you know, I know I could talk the, to you for hours. Kaba's like, okay, we can't have a three hour episode. Um, if there's one thing that you want viewers to take away from Good Egg, mm -hmm. what is that message? I think the most important thing for me is that people understand that everyone has their struggles, whether it's about trying to get pregnant mm. or whatever is going on in your life. And the best way in my eyes to cure that pain and, and sort of move past is by humor. And if you can't laugh at some of the hard struggles, I mean, this is only one of many I've had in my life, then then you're just not living, you know, and it's easier said than done. I'm not going to say medication and therapy has not gotten me through, but yeah. I do hope that people can just walk out of there feeling entertained, whether they can, you know, actually associate with the topic, whether they've been there, haven't been there, just sort of walk out saying, you know what, that was fun. I had a good hour and a half time there. Love the acting. There was a lot of heart and humor and, and just taking that away, knowing that, the, that what led to this, I'm going to go there. Conception is tragedy. And they always say, you know, with tragedy comes comedy, the mm -hmm. best comedy. And yes. yeah, to me, it's about entertaining people. Like when some people walk away and they're like, I don't get it. I'm like, well, you don't have to. But did you laugh? Did you have fun? Did you feel something? That's what matters. That's so beautiful. Thank you for turning your your stories into this wonderful movie. It is so great. Even if you haven't been through the struggles that we both share, it's really for everyone. Uh, so I look forward to this theater run. This is I really know, exciting. I'm so excited. November 17th, y'all. In Yo, theaters, gotta Good get Egg, people. Click, vertical click, Releasing, click. Good Egg, written and directed by Nicole Gomez-Fisher, released by Vertical Releasing, November 17th in <laughs> yes. theaters. And... Uh, and it's also theaters and VOD. And VOD. Oh, and then, sorry, one last thing because I kind of find it. Um, right after the US release, we're releasing in the UK and South Africa. South Hello, Africa. Hello, that's <laughs> wonderful. So, oh, and now we're, awesome. we're waiting on some other uh, international platforms. Too. Yes. Yeah, Vertical baby. is a great company. Big up to Vertical Releasing. Yo, what an amazing episode. Shout out to Nicole Gomez Fisher for coming on the show. Make sure to check out her film, Good Egg. Well, she made for quite the good episode, right? So, yo, make sure you follow us at We Are Latinos Out Loud. You can follow me at Rachel La Loca. Give us a call. No big whoop. 978 Latinos. Yeah, that's the number. 978 Latinos. And thank you so much. Also, something else to check out. LGBTQ Out Loud. Another episode will be dropping today. B-O-N-U-S. Bonus, bonus, bonus. All right, LOLettos. On that note, we out.